If you like a good debate, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Today, I had a chat with Juan Luis Betancourt from Human Intelligence, and we had a super debate about the metaverse and about how to use psychometrics to help grow your business. We didn't always see eye to eye. Here's a clip from our discussion now. Everything is about connection. There's no more powerful way of connecting than understanding someone's psychology. We always say at Human Intelligence, every resume should have a human intelligence, a personality test on the back. That leads to engagement, performance, and happiness. And so one day, and one day the metaverse will understand humanity. I think there is no platform that understands humanity today, but when you go towards the metaverse and tools like psychometrics that become ubiquitous, where everyone has one by the time they're in sixth grade, it really is the beginning of understanding humanity. Believe me. This episode is from the archives, November 2021, but it's still relevant today. My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm your host. What's your purpose, and how does it integrate with sustaining life itself? For some of us, this question is a deep ache that we spend a lifetime trying to find, perhaps shifting direction as we learn and grow from one path to another. For many of us, our children give us a clear definition. Providing for them becomes our reason for being. For others, it's about enjoying the present moment, ever so fleeting and ever so beautiful. For still others, it can be financial, status, contribution or impact. In this podcast, my guest and I will share with you tips, ideas and methods on how to build a career that integrates with who you are and the life you want to lead. We will explore the social foundation on which to build your transition and an ecological ceiling above which we need not climb so that we live not just for ourselves, but for our collective ability to thrive. Welcome to the Purpose Driven Career Podcast, Do What Matters. Hello everyone, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are. I'm not sure all the time zones that will be listening into this. So today I have with me Juan Betancourt from Human Intelligence, and he's going to tell us a bit about his company. I met Juan just through LinkedIn, really. I, I started following his company because I think we've been in a few common circles around learning and development, etc. And I found his company very interesting. And then when I read his his background, I thought, oh, he's he's really, really interesting. So I'm going to allow him to introduce himself to you and tell you what he does. Thanks, Catherine Ann, for having me. Thanks, everyone, for taking time out of their day to, to watch this. I'm the CEO of Human Intelligence, founded about six years ago. We're the first company to actually measure culture through psychometrics in a scalable and actionable way. So it's not just a personality test. It's a platform that allows every person to be their best version of themselves for every two people to collaborate best at any moment, whether it's through email or phone, and for any team to understand the dynamics of the team instantly through their own tools and platforms like Microsoft Teams and, and Outlook calendar meetings, uh, so that at the end of the day, a company understands their culture, understands their intention of where they want to go, and can change that culture to get there. We, we help companies reduce turnover, we improve leadership, and you know it's great that a company can now match the culture they've defined on their website and coffee mugs and actually measure and see if they have that or not in different pockets of the company. Tell me how this works, really, because it's one thing to say you do psychometrics, but how does this work on a real human scale? How, how are people experiencing this form of, of intelligence? Yeah, so... Two answers to that question. One is the process. How do they get into the platform, right? There's always technologies, sometimes very difficult. We've tried to make it very easy. Um, and the second piece is then once it's 
they're onboarded uh, as a member of this platform on their tools, what it looks like or what that feels like for them. So in the first piece, um, we tried to fix the problem of all personality tests and assessments before us, which is workshop model, take someone out of the workplace, put them in a room or a nice vacation place, right, for the weekend or weekday trip. Um, have a consultant, IO's consult, IO psychologist consultant come in, and it's really a fun model, but it's really expensive. And what people remember a month later, six months later, is zero. And so the value to the organization goes quickly from $20,000 or whatever they spent for this really high paid consultant to zero. And so we said, let's do it a lot easier. And so an email link goes out from the CHRO, CEO, head of digital transformation, saying, hey, we got this great self-development tool. It's called human intelligence. Everybody will understand themselves better. Self-awareness for all employees, not just executives. And we will then use the insights through a platform, through our email, through our Slack, through our chat, through our teams, through whatever tools we have, they've connected it. So you'll be able to access the insights all the time. So as much fun as you had in that workshop that day, you'll have that much fun every day when you're about to email someone, call someone, go to a meeting. And so that goes out. We had Coca-Cola, 10,000 employees. The email went out. And within a week, 90%, like 9,300 people had taken it. And we're using the insights in email. We're using the insights in calendars before they went to a meeting to see how they could be more inclusive because there are some shy people in the meeting. So you might want to know that so that you can create space for those people. You're about to do a, a, a project with someone, understand how you get along or not get along. You know, what we try to achieve is higher resonance or vibration between every two souls in a community or in a company. Um, and so that's how people experience it. It's probably one of the first HR software tools that's fun. Most people don't think of HR software as fun. Ours is really fun. Although wellness software now with mindfulness tools, those are starting to get fun too. Yeah, absolutely. I can see this really having so much relevance in terms of culture and inclusion. And if you can speak to that a little bit, like how, how has it been, been used to facilitate inclusion? Yeah, so what most people don't understand is McKinsey came out with a study that, that looked at the Fortune 1000. 75% um, of, of employees at companies feel that diversity is being addressed. Now, it's not working, though. <laughs> well, if everyone thinks it's getting addressed, it's because they're putting in and hiring minorities right? But that doesn't mean that they're going to then be understood, accepted, and collaboration is going to take place. It's not just filling in and quotas. That's the diversity piece of it. The inclusion piece is actually the operationalizing of a diverse culture where people accept each other. And it's not enough to try to get, you know, some consultant do a training on, you know, the plight of African-Americans or Hispanics or Indians, right? That's just like literally content for like the day. How do you understand someone every day without the consultant coming in, right? And now with remote work, Karen in LA could be white, Asian, Hispanic, LGBT. Yeah. You don't know what, and you're not seeing Karen. So beyond city, Bob in Boston, writing an email or about to jump into a meeting with Karen who's never seen her, it's about understanding them. And our tool actually allows for that understanding regardless of race, religion, ethnicity. And so inclusion is really having everybody being included. And so one example is when you're writing to someone, meeting someone and, you know, working with someone to understand that they might be really decisive and you're really deliberate and that yeah. neither one's right. And maybe certain races, maybe certain diverse cultures are more decisive than others that are deliberate and both are okay. 
if if a tool like ours is used, an entire organization has higher emotional intelligence to understand each other, to create that resonance when they work together. The second example is for a team, for instance, you can get a team culture mapping and it will show that, for example, let's say 85% of the team, you know, let's say, you know, eight people out of 11 are extreme self-reliant and independent. And then there's three people who are extreme on the other side in terms of their values, belonging or, or of service. Yeah. Well, maybe these people belonging of service are consistently, and, and let's say they're minorities by whatever reason, they're consistently asking for help and trying to be part of the team. And these self-sufficient people who don't want to be part of a team are like, hey, stop bugging me. Neither one's right. But if each understood that that's just the way they are as humans, then they'll be able to work better together and leverage those differences as a strength together than differences that isolate them, which is what happens today in most work environments when there's not inclusion. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Tell me what you think has been the greatest victory of this software since you've deployed it. Like maybe maybe a, a snippet, a feedback, a bit of feedback that you've had from clients that has really made you or given you the momentum that this is really going to work. My wife did not divorce me. That's the best <laughs> client feedback I can give you. <laughs> I used it to understand her, to resonate with her and convince her to marry me. <laughs> um, no, but the, uh, the, 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 probably the, the, I mean, we have a lot of examples because our, our, our platform, our tool helps with so many major problems. So, so one is Ashley Furniture, right? The largest furniture manufacturing company in the hemisphere. They have like 20,000 employees. They had 100% turnover. They used our tool to identify what is the culture of people who, who enjoy working there, who are engaged, not happy, but who are engaged. <laughs> There's a yes. difference between a temperament study, but who are engaged, um, happy or not, <laughs> who are productive and who are accomplishing what the company needs, but then they're staying longer. So they're actually getting what they need as well. Yeah. And they created a profile from that data with our platform. And it was very clear of 28 things we measure. And I, I, we, I didn't mention it, but we measure uh, three categories. We call it BMW, like the car, behaviors, motivators, which are like values, and work styles. So they measured those things. And of the 28, there were five of the 28 that was consistent with all their high performers, like the 4,000 best workers. Right. They started to use that in hiring. So now when everybody came in on the shop floor, the manufacturing floor to do a weightlifting uh, interview, because that's the only thing they really require was can you lift something heavy? Um, they first then had a pad, an um, iPad, where they would take the 12-minute test or, or assessment, and then the result would literally give green or red light. Um, and there were a few yellows, or there was a range of yellow, if this person is going to perform well and, be, and should be hired or not. Um, the yellows would then be would be interviewed in person, but nobody else was interviewed yeah. in person, and they reduced turnover by forty percent within six months and saved millions, tens of millions of dollars. So that's a great example for using human intelligence for talent fit, for yeah. cloning high performance. Other companies use it at the kind of manager level or headquarters level for guaranteeing when you hire diversity of thought, because it'll show you that maybe a team has way too many people who are, um, for example, our team. After four years, we used this tool to realize, wow, we have great creative products, but our team of 14 people, all mavericks. We were all creative, innovative, change-oriented, right, in terms of yeah. our behaviors, our work styles. That was great to get started. That's not going to scale an organization. You need to have process, structure, a little bit of um, order and, and you know rigor in what you do. And when you're kind of really creative and, and shoot from the hip, you get great products, but you have a lot of misses. That's kind of like being so agile. 
we then hired for that other side. And it was only upon balancing the culture of our team and making it more diverse, we started to really scale the company over the last two years. So those are yeah. two examples, um, Ashley Furniture, Human Intelligence. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's a company called uh, Bank Paribas uh, that has a U.S. division, uh, Bank of the West. They have 6,000 employees. 600 of them are leaders, right? Every leader has about eight to 10 uh, subordinates. And it would, it would take them two years to get about 50 leaders through their training on self-awareness, leadership, understanding their teams. They incorporated our tool. They did a pilot for a month with like 10 leaders. And they realized that those 600 people would take like six years to finish the training. They did all 600 within, uh, I think, seven months with our tool. Yeah. It's that much accelerated. It was like a 400% uh, acceleration on leaders understanding the culture of their teams and how to align it with strategy and how to get the most out of their their employees. That's actually really powerful. It's it's a great message. So I want to I want to pivot us a bit, and and I don't know how much you can talk to this, but I've been messing around lately trying to understand the metaverse, and I I saw I watched Mark Zuckerberg's announcement, all ninety minutes or so of it, got very scared, and then proceeded to kind of type up my concerns about sort of how this is going to to change human life. But there are really good things about the metaverse. And one of the good things is how it can bring people together in the virtual space, even at work and, and, and at play, but, but at work and at play, and how that can really revolutionize how we experience work. I can see your tool fitting into this, but I don't know if you've had the time to really think about how you're going to, to fit into this new metaverse playing field. What are your thoughts? Infinite possibilities with psychometrics infused into a metaverse. Here's why. Remote work actually was the beginning of a metaverse. And it's probably not a surprise that Facebook launched this right after 18 months of remote work. Because what is remote work? It's getting people into a portal where you're now visually seeing each other on a two-dimensional screen. And it's really the tip of the iceberg, the beginning. Um, and Facebook just came out with a product even called The Portal. All of life will be delivered unfortunately for old people like me, <laughs> through portals. And those portals will be aided by AI and machine learning with lots of data and insights to make interaction more real. And so virtual and augmented reality will become reality. It, what we think remote work and remote ver, you know, meetings is a pain. It's not what it, you know, you know, kids are missing out on what it's like to really connect. You know, if you look at uh, in an Orwell, Orwellian way, if you look at the matrix where people are actually in these little pods and everything's just digital vision and consciousness, you know, this could be the beginning of moving that direction. And so you can imagine a meeting that if you really don't know someone like today, when you were remote call, you've never seen them you don't even know what color or race they are. Our tool actually helps you already know how to communicate with them. Don't give them an order, ask them when they can get it done by, don't tell them to do it by tomorrow because they're very deliberate. They need more time. Um, they're really inclusive and belonging type people. See if you can get them in a group that likes to work with people. Other people might not want that. Put them in a group or a portal uh, to work with people that like to have their independence when they work. And so everything from forming teams, forming those virtual environments, what you see in those environments, my preferences, preferences as a human being. You know, if, if I'm now playing video games in, in this metaverse, you know, and I am a, a, a belonging type human being in my value system, I want to play games with other people. Other people who are self-reliant and don't want that are unique. 
want to just play against the animal or the creature that the metaverse presents to them. And so you can imagine in terms of personalization, what's offered to them, what kind of products, what types of experiences, all of this is around personalized experience. And there's nothing more personal than understanding someone's psychology. And now that opens it up to 7 billion people who don't have to be in the same room. So in an interesting way, psychometrics is probably the quickest vehicle or the, 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 the oil that allows the metaverse to work really well without the friction of having to meet someone because the system already knows who you are and, and offers the right products, the right services. If you're going to buy a car through the metaverse and you're going to do a test drive, well, what if you're a decisive person? You don't need to do the test drive. You just want information that you can make the purchase decision today. If you are someone who's deliberate and your psychology shows you need to kick and you know touch the tires, they'll produce a 3D augmented virtual experience where you're in the car. Yeah. And everything in between. And so, you know, uh, even if you go to the hospital through these augmented metaverse situations, you're not going to the physical hospital. They're going to have a doctor. Who do they present to you as your doctor, as your bot? A bot that gets along with you, that doesn't annoy you. I mean, how many times do we go to a doctor and we don't click with them and it's a nightmare, right? Imagine matching people with doctors through the metaverse, with bosses mm-hmm. through the metaverse, with colleagues through the metaverse that actually get along and work well with you based on who you are and your experiences. Everything is about connection. There's no more powerful way of connecting than understanding someone's psychology. We always say at Human Intelligence, every resume should have a human intelligence, a personality test on the back. That leads to engagement, performance, and happiness. And so one day, and one day the metaverse will understand humanity. I think there is no platform that understands humanity today. But when you go towards the metaverse and tools like psychometrics that become ubiquitous, where everyone has one by the time they're in sixth grade, it really is the beginning of understanding humanity. And all that, although that sounds scary, and there's probably 6% of your viewers saying, oh my God, I don't want them to understand me. Believe me, a platform, a portal, a metaverse that understands humanity starts to unlock cures to disease, cures to divorce, everyone being happy, everyone finding love. Imagine everyone using the metaverse to find someone who gets along with them. They love them and they're happy. Everyone. So, so here's my question to you. Like, I like, could go like, on for I, hours. I, mean, I can see that. I can see that. Future. And that's why I want to stop you there. Because we don't spend enough time thinking about whether or not we should do things. We just think about whether we could do things, right? That's That's a famous quote by somebody who I don't remember. But The point I want to make here is what you're describing sounds like a dopamine overload. Is that good? Did did you see me take it before the call? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't put value or judgment to uh, of good or bad to what's coming down the the future. Should we? Should we think about it even? I think we should all think about all of our actions and behaviors and, and outcomes and consequences and, and, and not just for humanity, but also for different segments of humanity. I mean, one of the negatives of the metaverse is it's going to leave behind the have nots even at a faster pace than now. If we're worried today about, you know, difference in income, right, wealth difference, difference in access to data and insights is what's truly going to make a, a, a new slavery class and, and not by race or religion, because, you know, there'll be as many poor whites. I mean, it, it'll just there's a correlation obviously between race at least in the US but you know in Africa where everyone's black they'll be the rich and the poor but with those who have those africans who have access to the metaverse and data and insights in this life are going to leave behind the poor africans who don't and that's not a color difference that's just humanity kind of getting bifurcated and so i think societies need to really take that into account and and be, 
because there's so much wealth, there's 8,900 known billionaires. It's not a stretch to ask for those people who have so much money, it would take literally less than half a percent of all of them donating to, to catch up and provide these technologies, platforms, data, metaverse experience for the other 80% of the world that doesn't have money. And, and that I hope is really being, that would be actually more important than being scared about the negatives of a metaverse. I think it's more about let's focus our energy on how we can have everybody experience it. Look, if God had people imagine things, as long as it's not hurting people physically or emotionally, why not try it? Yeah, I do think that there is a... A definite scary side to this thing. You know, I, I let my fingers go pretty quickly on a post basically summarizing what I thought were the risks. And some of those things you've already mentioned. So this idea of who's not on it gets left behind. But is it really behind? I don't know. The other thing is the energy demands of what this is going to be and how we're going to facilitate those energy demands. What is it going to take to operate such a mainframe of sorts. And then the other one is just in terms of our own development as humans. Are we going down a path that is too exclusive? So it, it just becomes this digital reality instead of a reality reality. I mean, picture the matrix, right? I, I don't think people enjoyed that. <laughs> like the, the movie didn't depict fun in, in that scenario, you know? And I, and I just challenge whether or not, I think we're questioning a lot of things. Let's, let's put it that way. We're, we're at this junction where all of a sudden, all the things we thought were hard and fast rules of what morality is and what's right and what's wrong and what's, what we should not go beyond, what are the ethics that we shouldn't surpass, but all of a sudden, all of that's come into question. And this is why, you know, I'm asking the question, should, should we? Yeah, well, I'm a true believer that God will stretch humans and our, our questions, our values, our ethics, you know, this, this will do that. And it's just part of evolution, right? Our, you know, uh, how we looked, feel, thought, and, and what we did 2000 years ago is completely different than today, which will be completely different. Um, will my two-year-old daughter go to a university physically? Probably not. Probably just learn through a computer in, in an apartment somewhere um, and probably get a much better education than I did. And I went to Harvard, but you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, you know, everything's changing. Um, you know, I don't, I'm going to be by the way. So I don't use technology very much, actually. I don't, you know, I, I've never really bought anything on Amazon. I don't use iProd, iPhone products, Apple products. So I'm probably going to be left behind by the metaverse. And that's my choice. And, and, but, but I, if the universe and God or whatever you want to call it, or humanity being a, a, an aggregate of all those things, we will take our, our civilization to where it needs to go to learn. And if learning means getting burnt and getting hurt, well, there's learning there and through the ashes, we will rise to the next version of humans and we will maybe not make the same mistakes. And that's why history repeats itself, because if we yeah. don't learn, we'll, it'll happen again. It's like global warming. I mean, it's terrible, right? It's what's happening to this planet. And, you know, I'm all about Mother Earth. And, you know, let's say the worst thing, like there's maybe I'm just too positive. But the worst thing in the world, the world is going to become extinct. All animals are going to become extinct. Humans are then forced to go to another planet and find another planet. It's just like all these sci-fi movies. Yes, it's terrible that Earth is extinct. If you look at the vastness of the universe, I mean, Earth is like a just, uh, it's not even a needle point. There might be millions, gazillions other Earths out there, 
right? And we kill cows, we kill fish, we kill grass to eat. I mean, if you look at the, like when someone eats a blade of grass, you're thinking, oh, it's not that bad. Well, it's as bad as killing the earth if you look at the universe. <laughs> and so maybe just getting to another planet, having humans go to other universes, we find cures for all illness and, and all humans then can live for 500 years. I mean, who knows the positives that could come out of a horrible situation. So, so you know, it, it, I think innovation is beautiful and we just have to kind of temper the risks and the downsides. Yeah, absolutely. So Simone says, what you've been talking about also reminds me of this line said in Interstellar by the character Dr. Mann. We can care deeply, selflessly about those we know, but that empathy rarely extends beyond our line of sight. I think that's incredibly powerful and, and poignant about what we're talking about as well. But anyway, we we, we were celebrating human intelligence. <laughs> And oh, wait, I, that's, I, that's what this is about. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get back on topic. I don't know if you you have uh, maybe a case study you want to share with the audience. Yeah, I, mean, I guess, you know, I, I gave the case study of Ashley yeah. Furniture hiring better and reducing turnover and saving money. Yeah. I gave the case study of our own company uh, creating yeah. a new uh, culture that we then hired and trained people to be based on the tool. Um, there's a company called Vivo Kitchen, um, I think in Minneapolis, about 200 employees, one of these big, like almost like cheesecake factories. They mm -hmm. had horrible service. Nobody would ever go there. You know, they were going to close. They put in our platform to hire and they basically just set it for, we want service oriented people who can make, who are self-starters. They're, they're service oriented and they can make a decision. So if there's a problem, they don't like say, oh, we are not allowed to do that. Or I, I don't know. Let me go check. They make the decision, right? Which leads to the best service, right? They're service oriented yeah. and they make decisions. They use that. They just those two of twenty eight things. They only hired people who index extreme on that, and they went from a one Yelp rating across you know hundreds of, of uh, Yelp ratings to a four out of four or five out of five, whatever the highest rating is. Within three months, um, uh, turnover went down. They they went from turnover of fifty or forty percent down to two percent, um, and they stopped losing employees. And I was at a conference presenting to like a thousand people in Orlando, and I said, and "There's this case today about Vivo Kitchen." Um, and they went from here to here. And then literally some woman in the conference who was an head of HR stood up and she, I said, oh, do you have a question? He goes, no, I live in that town. Everyone, I lived that experience. We never ate that restaurant. <laughs> and all of a sudden we, not, we didn't understand what happened. It was the same ownership, <laughs> but all of a sudden like the service was amazing and people kept talking to town. That restaurant put everyone out of business because everyone started to eat there. It became yeah. an amazing and joyful. And so this is literally a real story of how Yes. A, a psychometric tool and hiring tool and setting culture to what you want and then using data to get there can transform a business from going out of business to being the most well-respected restaurant in a city, um, which, you know, most people don't respect, you know, restaurants that much. So that, that's <laughs> another, I think, great example. I mean, we've worked with call center agents to hire, you know, and duplicate what works in call centers. And then yeah. when call centers left to go to remote, we've helped call centers find the people who would still do well in call center environment alone at home because your high performing call center agents in the office at home, they often become the worst and vice yeah. versa. And so, you know, we, we you know, if, if there's a, a culture challenge at a company, human intelligence can help them not because we're so great, but because the tool just gives you data to make the right decision. Yeah. So you've got a question. How have you seen competency transformation, reskilling rather than upskilling and shift and shift due to a focus on human intelligence rather than tech rather than the tech? Yeah. Yeah. So we always say that success on a job is only 30 percent what you uh, know. Right. Like the, the skills. Right. And it's 70 percent who you are and, and what your behaviors are, motivators, work styles in the context of the team where you are. 
and the company. So an example here is at a Starbucks in Miami, where I live near Hialeah, a barista and team of baristas, the culture typically of good net promoter score and success with customers is that they talk to the customers for five to 10 minutes. They touch their babies, pick them up, ask them where they go to school, relate personal stories, ask them, oh, are you married to this person's cousin? Everything's personal, engaging. You might stay there 20 minutes. That's high net promoter score, great success, great barista. That same team in New York City, where I lived for five years, if they touched anyone, let alone their babies, asked a personal question and spent more than three minutes with a customer, would either get sued or that store would close and have no business. Same high performance culture in one area of the same company in Miami would lead to failure at Starbucks in New York City. And so, you know, competencies are local. Competencies are functionally driven, right? The competencies and the values for a for the finance and accounting team at Coca-Cola should be very different than those in the marketing team at Coca-Cola, than the sales team. And so there is a, a variability, a variance that's so large that without a tool like human intelligence and understanding whose psychology and, 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 and cultural nuances or, or, or drivers, it's impossible to optimize any system where you work or where they work. And so it, it really is the future of, of having everyone be the best version they can be in the right role, in the right company. Because what we often see is if someone's not performing, you don't have to change them. You can just say, well, now let's go find the role in the company where this person naturally would do well. So there's trying to change someone, but then there's also trying to find where they fit best. Today, if you looked at the whole world, there'd be a lot of like finding where they would fit better because there's a lot of miserable people. The day that this is implemented all the time, right out of high school, right out of college, and it's connected to every system, then Javier, who's in going to McDonald's, walks in, tries to get a job. They say, no, thank you. He goes on his phone, you know, and it says, oh, you're not good for McDonald's, but Subway, two miles away from here, go grab an Uber, loves your profile for the senior management track. And so Javier, get in an Uber, go there now. They're looking for people with your 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 uh, psychometrics. So you can be a manager at Subway. And so the system will naturally match everybody one day when it's more than just skills, but it's also this kind of um, uh, 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 value system, behavioral psychometrics, um, so that everybody's finding jobs that they stay with for five to 10 years right out of school. Because right now, millennials and whatever they're called under that, and I'm too old, um, when you're 22, you will change jobs on an average nine times by 30. So kids are changing jobs every year. The only reason that's happening is not because of the lack of information of what's out there, because you now have yeah. Google. I, I'm 50. I would have loved to have Google. And you know, I only thought there were four careers that existed when I graduated Harvard. <laughs> now yeah. you can see all the different jobs. It's because people have to kind of test drive all these jobs to see where they fit. This will save the nightmare for companies, for parents, for those kids. These young kids don't want to change jobs every year. They just can't figure out where they'll fit. A tool in psychometrics will help people figure out where they'll fit, where they'll be happiest, and which manager is best for them, which industry is best for them. And, mm -hmm. and where I arrived at 40, most kids will arrive at 25. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I find it fascinating. I think for me, like being resilient has given me so much in life. I don't know what I could have had if I was happy all the time. <laughs> but being resilient, true, true, not 
necessarily being happy has brought me to where I am today. Like it's it's made me go through five different functions. So I've worked in finance, in internal audit, supply chain logistics, supply chain planning, and change management. So I've done a lot of things, and now I'm doing marketing and stuff, right, and, and sustainability. So all of so you, that. A tool like this could show that you love that kind of change and variability, so that exactly. when you do go through that change, it's not stressful because some people do like change all the time. But it's they might stressful, be... but it's not as stressful as other people. <laughs> yes, but some. So uh, so imagine if you knew that that was your parkour, that that was your journey. You you wouldn't when people told you what are you doing why do you keep you would say well that's because I enjoy it like you would have more self confidence as a young person that that changing yeah. all the time is your is your journey now most people that's typical most do don't like changing jobs every year or two years or industries um uh but uh yeah the the repercussions for getting people happy with tools like this I mean our goal one day for human intelligence is where every resume has a human intelligence profile on the back. And everyone finds happiness, not just career, but also love. These are the two most important things. Are you, are you seeing? Are you seeing what she's written here? Oh my God. I didn't even see that. Yes. Simone. Is that Simone's comment? Simone Jamar? Yes, Simone, you you nailed it. You're like your your vision is like you're channeling me. Like, so yes, it is the professional business dating app, but also it is the future is using psychometrics in a more powerful way than eHarmony and 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 uh, being and all these others for both. I mean. Aligning who you are with where you'll vibrate at the highest vibration and resonance at work and with another person or persons, I don't know what people's preferences are, is the future where you get to those points before you're like 50. Why, why, we should all be happy every day and love the people we work with and hang out with and love. Awesome. Like, this has been such a great session. I've, I've actually, I've really loved our discussions. You have so much energy. It's it's such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Tell everyone how to connect with you. I mean, I guess LinkedIn is the first place, but tell tell them a little bit about how to find more. Yeah, you can go to LinkedIn or um, email me at Juan, J-U-A-N, at humanintelligence.com. We cut out the I-N, so we connected human and the word intelligence and cut out the I-N in the middle. So it's H-U-M-A-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-C-E.com. Like you see it on the screen there. Just Juan at humanintelligence.com. Be happy to answer any questions, talk about the future of the metaverse, um, <laughs> and anything else you want to know about two-and-a-half-year-olds and, and seven-month-olds, because that's the life I'm living right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Simone, as well, for all your questions and engagement. So thank you, everyone. And see you next week with my next guest. This episode was brought to you today by the Courageous Career Club. Have you picked up your own copy of Do What Matters, the Purpose Driven Career Transition Guidebook? To find out how you can get your copy, as well as resources that go alongside it, visit my website, www.catherineannbyam.com or engage with me on the socials. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.